Welcome back, everyone, to this week's segment of Scientist of the Week. Uh, today, we are joined by a professor of biology within the Faculty of Science at McMaster, Dr. Ben Evans. Glad to have you today. Would, would you mind telling us a bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I am a professor in the biology department. I'm about 50 years old. I'm uh, a married person who has two children. So I'd say um, not in that order. Those are the important things about me. <laughs> Um, I'm a biologist and I study evolutionary genomics and I've been at McMaster about 15 years and I'm from the United States. I'm an immigrant um, here and I am the child of immigrant parents. My parents are from the United Kingdom. And I guess things that I think about are what's happening to the world and are we going to be able to keep living on this wonderful planet in a sustainable way. And we can talk more about that and its influence on my life and my research if you want. For sure, yeah. I was just wondering if you would uh, begin, you know, by explaining the focus of your research. You mentioned that um, through the field of biology, evolutionary biology, you've conducted a lot of research. Would you mind explaining maybe the primary focus of what um, you found most interesting in your time as a researcher or um, kind of what that whole aspect of your life was like? Sure. So my research focus has actually changed quite a bit over the course of my work um, as a scientist. So I, I guess I'll begin with the current things I do now and then work backwards in time. So yeah. broadly speaking, I'm interested in how important things evolve. And the particular system, that biological system that I've focused on uh, most recently is that of sex determination. So the set of genetic events that happen during development that determine whether an individual becomes a male or a female individual. And I'm talking about the genetic determinants of sex, not the gender identity of sex, and that's a separate, equally interesting uh, field that mm -hmm. isn't what my focus is. And so we're using as a model uh, a group of frogs that have really rapid evolution of the genetic cascades that govern sexual differentiation. And that group is, a, a, it's called, it's in the genus Xenopus, um, and they're African clawed frogs. And so I sort of stumbled into this system based on previous work where I was interested in conservation biology, I still am, but I was also uh, interested in, in conservation biology of endangered species, particularly in biodiversity hotspots, so places where there's unique species that don't occur anywhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to try to make an impact on conservation of biodiversity by studying endangered species and understanding how they evolved, how variation, genetic variation is distributed over landscapes, and also how humans are affecting their habitats. And for that reason, I was doing field work in, as a graduate student in Africa, um, and that began in the 90s before you and probably many of the <laughs> listeners were born. Yeah. And I've basically been working uh, with this group and also with colleagues in Africa, including doing field work, uh, with the name of understanding their evolution. And you know, basically what we stumbled into is really remarkable variation in the genetic systems that govern sexual differentiation. Interesting, that's very cool. And one of the most beautiful things about science, I guess, to know is um, you mentioned, like, even though the research was conducted uh, in the 90s, how relevant research still remains to this day, especially Absolutely. when focusing on that topic. There's still much we don't know that we're building on. But um, for sure, it's important for all of us to understand 
back then the research was equally as more important, especially when we were governing our new, you know, knowledge of things. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that actually questions in research don't change as quickly as the methods that we use to address the questions. So I yeah. think that's really well put. For sure. Um, and just a follow-up question to that. Um, Many people, when it comes to research, uh, they, they're a little hesitant about uh, what to do, how to do it. Um, a lot of questions throughout undergrad until grad students, maybe. Um, I was just wondering what your thought process was like when you chose to travel to Africa and study um, there and conduct this research. Were there any hurdles you came across that, in particular, you look back at and um, wish you could tell yourself something differently or would remain the same? Anything that really stood out to you during that time? So when I was an undergraduate, I was lucky to have several research experiences that I think really changed my life. So as a second year student, I worked with a, a professor called Dr. Norton Nickerson, and he's since passed away, but he introduced me to field work. We actually worked in the Caribbean on mangroves, and that was fascinating. But then as well as a third year student, I did a, a semester abroad in Kenya. And I was able to do field work on um, a species of ungulate called oryx. And we also traveled all over national parks and got to see different ecosystems and so on. And I would say that one of the things that influenced me most was the fact that I was willing, maybe naively so, to go and put myself in a situation where it was outside of my norm. So, for example, you know, after working in Kenya in this study abroad situation, I hitchhiked around Lake Victoria on my own, and you know, I found myself um, standing out um, within communities that I that I saw, and also within the trucks and buses that I was on, um, in a way that I think um, helped me understand how other people live help me understand how other people, uh, what their needs were. Um, and I think it, it made me care and appreciate more other, you know, about these other people in, in ways that I don't think I would really have a deep appreciation for now had I not had those international experiences. And so I think just the willingness to, to stick my neck out and, and feel silly sometimes and feel out of place sometimes was, was one of the things that motivated me in the end. Could I go back and, and give myself advice? Uh, yeah, I would say um, maybe, for example, communicating more with my folks to let them know I was okay would have been a good idea. Um, so for example, this is before email and texting oh, and yeah. cell phones that I was doing this. And for example, I remember going to a post office to send a telegram, this was in 1991, to my parents. And it was very expensive, and I didn't have very much money, and I didn't send that telegram. And then I carried on hitchhiking for another three weeks. And I remember calling my dad once I got back to Nairobi, and him being very happy, elated, I'd say, <laughs> to hear from me, because it had been uh, too long. Um, but I think maybe probably the listeners wouldn't have that kind of challenge now, because the maybe activity not. is... Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it's once again, it's remarkable to see how people, not, not only you, but certainly you in this case, but... People with the passion for science in general were willing to go out and take risks in a sure. time where, um, say now, we have more resources available that can address some issues. Uh, for example, if someone needs to be able to communicate with their parents, they can through their phone or yes. smartphone. But <laughs> it's quite easy now. Yeah, exactly. Just WhatsApp them and you get the job done. 
But um, yeah, no, it's so nice to see how um, passion for science is prevalent within our world and how it led to findings and experiences, like you said, where you not only got to understand um, the aspects of biology that you appreciated, but also understanding people from a different lens. Um, so definitely seems like a very motivating experience. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, now jumping um, into a bit of a uh, more evolutionary topic, I uh, had compiled a list of questions of some of the misconceptions maybe or um, just thoughts that some people have initially when discussing evolutionary biology, um, kind of based on uh, your like high school curriculum um, of sure. like what is taught. So um, the first question that I found was often asked uh, online and by some of our listeners too who I had spoke to is, uh, are all species actually related? And some people have this common misconception of how they're related if they are and if we can even call each other all related at this point, what's your intake on, or your insight on that? The answer is yes. Yeah. We are all related. So humans are related to each other. Mm -hmm. We are related to chimpanzees. Chimpanzees are related to mice. Mm -hmm. Mice are related to bacteria. I mean, it goes all the way across down the ancestry ladder mm -hmm. to the origin of life, from which every living thing, from bacteria, to worms, to humans, sprang. For and sure. that's a process that's been happening for 3.8 billion years or so, and so that's why we look so different. But we are definitely an interconnect, we are all connected to each other and to everything living through our common ancestry. For sure, and it's interesting um, how you brought up the tree of life, for example. Like most people don't look at things like bacteria and consider the fact that they might be, that they share some common ancestry sure. down the road with it. Um, so. For sure, interesting to look at it from that lens. Um, another question I found a lot of people um, have a misconception on that, just to clarify, is uh, are evolution and natural selection really the same thing? No. So evolution refers to change over time. Natural selection refers to the environment favoring the propagation of some variation over other variation as a consequence of that variation being linked to differences in reproductive success. So maybe I can put that in a different way. Evolution is fueled by mutations. Mutations are just essentially errors that happen when cells are um, copied, when DNA is copied. And sometimes those mutations introduce variation in the ability of an individual to reproduce in an environment. Natural selection refers to a phenomenon where some vari variants of DNA get passed on to the next generation by virtue of the fact that the individual that has those variants makes more offspring, or maybe because those offspring are better able to survive than some other individual that lacks that variation. And so they're very much interrelated. You wouldn't have natural selection if you didn't have evolution. Um, but not all of evolution is a consequence of natural selection. I think that's the major difference. So some types of evolution uh, happen not because of some advantage that the change has, but just because it's tolerated by the environment. Mm -hmm. So for example, in humans, differences in eye color is something that in most scenarios doesn't influence your reproductive success, but it's still variation that has its basis in mutation and in, in, in evolution. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't necessarily um, involve natural selection. Interesting, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, 
just some people I know maybe sometimes confuse that whole um, survival of the fittest with just as what evolution stands for. But it's great that we were able to clarify, you know, um, although natural selection may be a component within evolution, there's more aspects to evolution, which are really fields that people can study um, and can go explore for sure right now. Um, just a follow-up question that I had. Um, in terms of evolutionary studies, uh, many people growing up when explaining science concepts to their friends will give the answer often, oh, it's just how, how it works. It's just how it works. That's the definite answer. Um, but evolutionary biology um, for students, uh, for me, for example, seems like something that is a lot more open in terms of um, your understanding while you may come to the same conclusions as other people and maybe from different means there's evidence throughout the world of it that everyone can like for example your experience with frogs you came to the, a similar conclusion maybe as someone who studied a different species and came to similar conclusions um so just um your opinion on that statement that people limiting themselves in the field of science really saying that statement oh it's just how it works um this is why evolution occurs that's it um as i know throughout like the study of evolution we've had um people question evolution uh, people really take different approaches within this field that have actually strengthened our understanding overall as we've been able to conduct more research but what was your thoughts on this so i think that um, people that question evolution as a fundamental theory for binding our understanding of biological phenomena don't have sufficient understanding of the information at our disposal that supports the theory of evolution uh, for example, there are people that reject evolution on religious grounds, um, and in my opinion, those people haven't considered the breadth of information that we have that supports evolution. Um, I think there's, even within people that accept evolution as a phenomenon, there's a lot of misunderstanding about how it works, and uh, you know, it's, it's a privilege actually to be able to talk to you and, and to the listeners about this. So one common misconception is that evolution is some sort of goal-oriented phenomenon that mm -hmm. uh, you know organisms evolve particular characteristics because they want to be that way, and that's of course not the way evolution happens. So mutation delivers variation to species, and then natural selection acts on that vari variation, favoring some or other individuals to reproduce more than than their counterparts, and that's what influences whether or not differences happen among species or among individuals. So it's not because you want to be something or a species needs, needs to be some, some, uh, some way in order to uh, adapt well. It's, it's very much uh, random processes that introduce variation and then the environment acts on, those, on that variation to determine what genes get passed on. For sure, yeah. Um, that's a great answer and I think it explains a lot of and clarifies a lot of um, what the question was asking, which is great. Um, now, just uh, that concludes the episode, this segment of Scientist of the Week. But to end, um, since our topic for this interview is obviously evolutionary biology, um, ending with a statement that might be familiar with you. Um, spoiler alert, you used this in our lecture. But I found that it was such a great quote and the meaning behind it um, definitely fits with our interview. Um, it's uh, nothing in biology makes sense except in the light of evolution. And that was said by Theodosius Dobzhansky. Correct. I really hope yeah. I said that name correctly. You did. Yes, thank you. But yeah, that concludes our segment for this week. And thank you everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time.